So, we know that Pashas the Midbar is always a Pasha before Shavuos. means that obviously there's some lesson to learn from Pashas the Midbar, which is part of our preparation for Shavuos. And then the Midrash Rabbah talks about this. The Midrash Rabbah in Pashas the Midbar, on the words, Rashi's out to motion in the Midbar. The Midrash Rabbah is the of Chachamim, Chachamim taught us, that the Shlosha Dvarim Nitna Torah, with three things the Torah was given. Ba'esh, which is the fire, Ba'mayim, with water, and Ba'midbar, in the Midbar. What's the connection between those three things? Where was the Torah given with fire and water in the Midbar? So let's look. When we're talking about Har Sinai, the fire that the Torah tells us about, Har Sinai was on fire. There was a fire for the mountain which went under Levi Shemayim. We looked up, we saw, from the top of the mountain, they saw this huge pillar of fire as far as I could see. That's the Ish. And the Ma'im, where was the water by Harsinai? So the Midrash brings the Apostle and say for Shavtim. It says, when Hashem spoke to Harsinai, Gam Shemayim not for Ma'im. The, the sky dripped water. So it's so clouds with water in the sky. And then by Midbar, that's where they were. Which means, what the Midrash is saying is if you think about it, while Clarice saw at the base of Harsinai, getting the Torah, what did they see? What was the background? What did they notice around them? What is the, so to speak, the, the backdrop on which Hasina happened? The fire in front of them, the water in the sky, and the midbar all around. What's the significance of that? Why was the setting for the Matan Torah, these dark of this Nakoda, of fire, water, and the midbar? Obviously, it's meant to teach us a lesson of how we meant to, how we meant to macabre the Torah. There's a message from the fire, the water, and the midbar. And Zarachim in, in, in talking about Matan Torah, where he tells us what are the midas necessary for a person to makabel Torah. What are the midas necessary for a person to makabel Torah? Zarachim doesn't directly relate it to this midrash, but the lineup is very clear. It says the first Zarachim says the first midah that a person needs in order to be makabel Torah is the fire. And what's the fire? He brings about it, he brings the Gemara, which says that a person's only makabal Torah if he drives himself to learn Torah the whole time. It's what? drives himself to learn the whole time. It's the inner fire which pushes a person to do more and to do more. That's like the energy, that fire, which is going to make a person become great in Torah, and therefore you're not going to find Torah, the Gemara says, between people who are lazy and people who are taking it easy, relaxing. The staff committee, a person who is completely dedicated, he's willing to work out the whole way, push himself to the limit to learn. That's the first requirement for Torah. The second requirement for Torah, he talks about the mind, and he says that just like the nature of something which is solid, is that it stands by itself. It can be something enormous like a mountain, it can be something tiny like a grain of sand. But solid things are in the individual. The only, what makes things combine is water. You take a solid grains of sand, you pour it in water, now it becomes one mess. The combination factor always is water. Water makes things combine. And if that's the case, so he explains that the second Nakuda to be Matzliach in Torah is the factor which brings things together. That, and therefore, the, that when the Torah is used as a way that people combine to learn Torah, so that, that, that's, that enhances the, the ability to makabal Torah. The Midbalka will come to the minute, but I was just thinking of a where we see an example of a person 
where we can learn from these talents and how how it's affected the Kabbalah Satar. So I was thinking, of, I heard an amazing story last week, which isn't so well known, about Rameh Shapiro. So I started thinking a little bit about Rameh Shapiro as a person. I want to share with you two or three highlights in his life, which just bring out these points of the different myths which are necessary to be Makabal Torah. Why is he a good example? Because we all know that uh, for a person, so to speak, to achieve a level of bringing Kla Yisrael to Torah, it's a special source. It's a special source. But, and therefore, if you're going to look at people who've had a big impact on the world of Torah, you'll, you won't find as many people in the last hundred years for sure, have had as much as an impact on the world of Torah like Rameh Shapiro did. I mean, there are a few things he did, but let's just talk about the Dafi Yohemi first. As, a, as, as an idea or as something which has become a Mechayim for hundreds of thousands of people to learn, uh, so that's all to his host, this was his project. When he had suggested it originally in 1923 at the Knesset HaGadayda, so the Imre Emes, the Gerev at the time, told him, he said, uh, to have such an idea, was he said, but I'm jealous of what Chosim he had beforehand, that HaKadosh Baruch gave you the idea. But let's look at that as the first example of a Mesh Pir's achievement. Did he get shot down? Sorry? Did he get shot down? Hmm? Originally, but when he, when he presented the idea? No, the Chafet Chaim was for it, he told him to present it, and the Gerev was for it. Those are the two big G'dayim of Poland. He did an opposition to it? Small, but uh, the G'dayim at the time, they, they, they promoted it at the, at the Gnesa G'dayim, because they, they held this was the... Uh, this was a, a factor which would bring Taishal to that. But Isn't now... Someone else who did the documentary? It was a motion? A motion here. Say again? Yes, now, yeah. So, what, how did he present it? Ramir Shapiro? Yeah, Ramir Shapiro. Ramir Shapiro? So, let's go back. How did he present it? So, we all know the first part of what he said, and that was that this way, there won't be a day a person doesn't learn Torah. And if every day you have a Machayev, every day you have a Daf, so there won't be a day without learning Torah. That's true. There was a second Chalik what he said also. And he said that the Ma'il of Daf Yomi, he says now, if you have a Jew from Warsaw who meets a Jew from Vilna, a Jew from Germany who comes to Hungary, he said, you'll have something to talk about. Everyone's holding, wherever you're going to be, you're holding in the same sugya. It's not like I'm holding one myself and you somewhere else. He said, Be'etzim, Klarishra are all learning the same Daf. So wherever in the world you're going to be, Be'etzim, any other Jew you meet, we can talk to Torah, we're holding in the same place. We're discussing the same sugya. And he said, that's a Koyach The Koyach is that it unites people. So you're learning a Gemara. So you look to see Rashi, you look to see Tosus, the Gdodim of France. You turn to the back, you open up a Rif, you look at the Gdodim of Morocco. You learn the Rambam from Egypt, you learn the Rosh from Spain, you learn the Marashah from Poland, you learn everything. The whole world was learning one Gemara. Gdodim, Yisrael, wherever they were. Doesn't make a difference which country, doesn't make a difference which Nusach, doesn't make a difference which background. It's all the same Gemara. He said, the Koyach can unite Klai Yisrael. He said, the Dafyomi is going to unite Klai Yisrael. It means wherever you are, when the world, the world doesn't make a difference. But Lemais, we're all learning the same Torah. Which is, we talk about Lemais, Shapira's first big Hatzlacha, Dafyomi. And the Koyach was the Mayim of Torah. To use Torah as a way to combine. If it, like we said, it's like the water, the element of water is it combines people. So to use Torah as an element to combine. That's the first story. The second big Hatzlacha of of Meir Shapiro's life. Uh, I'll just give you a bit of the background. After the First World War, so Polish Jewry was in a turmoil. 
as opposed to where people have been living in the same cities for yeah, hundreds of years before that and everything was peaceful, more or less, and whatever. The First World War, everyone had to run because Poland was the front of the battlegrounds, kept moving. And now everything got thrown into disarray and people came back and they were in different countries because the, the map was redrawn. And uh, uh, the whole Jewish world, so to speak, had to be reorganized. And that's when the Gedalim at the time, again, the Chaim Wazirginsky and the Chavitz Chaim and the Gerebbe and the Kazander Rebbe, the Belgian Rebbe, decided they have to make some kind of uh, joint effort to, 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 to try and regulate and organize all the Jew- Jewish life in all the different cities of Poland. And that was when they made Agudas Yisrael. That's where it began from. But the question was, Agudas Yisrael needed, no, the Gedolim might be the ones to give it the stamp and give it, give it the green light to go ahead. Who's going to run it? And we're talking about a tremendously big job. Like we said, we're talking about, at the time in Poland, there must be been three million Jews. And to take care of all the different cities, all the different problems, like make one organization which is going to try and take care of everything. And it's also meant like the Polish government. It's also meant like uh, internal organization of who's going to run it. So the, the first, uh, so to speak, person in charge of a good show was Ramesh Shapiro. I didn't take such a big job. So Ramesh Shapiro famously said about it. says in the past of Abraham Avinu, and it says that Hashem took Abraham outside, he took him outside, and he told him, count the stars. Can you count the stars? That's how many Jews they're going to be. And people normally understand the Apostle to mean that Hashem is asking a rhetorical question. Can you count the stars? No, there are too many to count. So you should know that's how many Abraham said you're not going to have children. Hashem said you're going to have so many children, there'll be as many as the stars. Ramesh Bereshit understand the Apostle differently. It's true, there are an endless amount of stars. But what Hashem told Abraham is, start counting. Even if you can't finish, start counting. And Abraham started counting stars. And so I'm told, count the stars, and keep counting stars, and keep counting stars. You might not finish the job, but keep counting. So yeah, I'm taking on a project. I said, it's a vast project to look after the whole place, or to try and check something. Start. Start counting stars. Start, start. Do what you can, and keep working. It doesn't make a difference if you can finish or you can't finish. And that's the second approach to Torah. The person looks at the whole Torah and thinks, Torah is tremendous, shas, and uh, yishalmi. And the whole Shulchan Aruch, and the whole bookcase of Jewish Sparimra. Who can learn so much? Who can remember so much? Who can understand so much? It's like the stars. It's, beyond, it's endless. But the, the mitzvah is, Spar, start counting. Do what you can, start working on it. And that was his approach when he started like Goodness Israel also. It's a, it's a tremendous job. Start, do as much as you can. And he did. He, he was a member of the Polish parliament, and he went around and set up in town after town, whatever it was. It, it, it's a, it's, it doesn't, so to speak, give a person a tour from starting just because he thinks it's too big to finish. And that's the second element in Torah. The Torah is endless. And therefore, it doesn't give us the reason not to try. Start, start counting. Start counting because the more a person is able to achieve that, so much he's got. That's the second element. That's the fire of Torah. The fire of Torah is a dedication. To, 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 even if it's something which a person doesn't think they can finish, but... It doesn't mean I shouldn't do the best I can to get as far as I can. And that became the primary, that became the primary organ of uh, uh, control, so to speak, for Haredi jury in Poland. And it spread. I got to Israel, went to America, I got to Israel, came to Israel. That became the continuation of that same movement, which uh, became the, so to speak, governing body for Israel and other places in the world too. That was the second schos. And now comes the third schos. 
it's not brought in Svarim about him. I just heard it last week. It's an unbelievable idea. We know that Rimei Shapiro's third big achievement in life was to make Yeshivas Chachmir Rabin. Yeshivas Chachmir Rabin. It wasn't the first Yeshiva in Europe. It wasn't the first Yeshiva in Europe. There had been other Yeshivas before that. Famous Yeshivas all over Lithuania. But there was a Chiddush. It was a Chiddush and what Rimei Shapiro was trying to do. Why? Because until then, if you go and see today, the Yeshiva village and the Yeshiva of Mir, the Yeshivas in Europe, the Atom was the best Medrash. It didn't have a dormitory, it didn't have a lunchroom. So you have a base manager, everyone can say that, but where are they going to sleep? Where are they going to eat? So what did the Bakram used to do? So when they came to sleeping, they would used to try and find rooms in the town. They turned it as an extra room that they could sleep in there, pay a little bit, sleep in a side bedroom which wasn't being used. Everybody used to sleep in the back benches of the base manager, nowhere else to go. When it came to food, the Shiva didn't provide food. So people used to ask neighbors, people in the neighborhood, can I come for a meal once a week? You know, they used to try and split up how many people were willing to host Bakram on which day of the week and make sure everyone is supposed to eat. And that's the way that the yeshivas used to work in Europe. And the yeshiva didn't like that. He said it makes the, it makes the yeshiva bacha feel like he's a beggar. He has to beg for a place to sleep. He has to you know, offer, wait for a handout for food, wherever it is. He said it's destroying the, the cover of the Torah of what a ben Torah is meant to be. And his dream was, I'm going to make a yeshiva which is going to treat a ben Torah like royalty. There'll be a dormitory, there'll be a lunchroom. You're able to sit and learn and be looked after. That's the way it's meant to be. You shouldn't have to be a beggar. And why is that important? Because the trend of the time, especially because of the influence of the Ascala, was taken to look at Benetari like beggars. And someone Khashrib is somebody who has his own money, doesn't have to do whatever. And therefore, Rameh Shapiro wanted to give a certain prestige to people learning Torah. And the way he decided to do that is I'm going to make a yeshiva where it's going to be an honor to be a Benetari. Firstly, we get treated like a king, but also to get into the yeshiva wasn't easy. To get in the Chachmik Levin, the entrance exam was 200 Afghamara Belpe. So, it's the prestige. In the yeshiva, it means you're, the, you know, you're excellent, and we're going to treat you like that. And Ramesh Shapiro spent years, years fundraising to build Yishev Sachmik Levin. I don't know if any of you have been to Levin today, but it's an amazing thing. Until today, the yeshiva Chachmik Levin is still standing, the building. And even today, it's the most impressive building in Lublin. You can go to Lublin today, it has, it has buildings, it's not just whatever, it's a city. But even now, when you come to the full court and you see the big yeshiva in the background, it's impressive even by today's standards. In 1930, when it was built. And eventually, when the yeshiva was ready, the Shapiro was ready to set it up, he had the bachim, so he decided he wants to make a Chanukah Sabais to dedicate the yeshiva. And then in keeping with Heshita, he wanted this to be an event which would be the biggest event of the year, so to speak, for Polish Jewry. He traveled around Poland and beyond, inviting every Rav, every Rosh Hashiva, every Chasidish Rebbe, everybody, to come to the Hanukkah Sabais of the Yeshiva. And one of the people that Ramesh Shapiro went to was, he was a Chasid Ramesh Shapiro, his own Rebbe, the Chotkev Rebbe. And obviously, it's going to be a big cover if you come join the Hanukkah Sabais of the Yeshiva. It's going to be a major event. So the child of Rebbe thought about it for a minute, and he said, Rebbe, I don't think it's a good idea. Not a good idea, why not? So I'll tell you, the Chazal. Chazal say that we know that the first time Hashem gave the Luchas, Luchas Yishonus, were given mitoich, fire and thunder and lightning, the whole world heard about it, major production. And what happened? Forty days later, the Luchas got destroyed. And the second time Hashem gave the Luchas to Moshe, it was quiet here. 
לא נראית, אז אני כיפה, אשר גדלתי, גיבורת עליו, אין לי בינג ורבס, ואז זה לא חשוב שלב תודה. אני חזר עושה ללמד לך שאין יפה מן הצניס. זה שואל את זה, תמיד מדיין קווייטלי, ואתה עוד פרבליסטי, ואתה עוד אדוורטזי, זה מאוד סקססור. from the, what happened by the Luchas to teach us that that the right to do things is quiet is like without publicity it's done in a more quiet private setting Hashem also knew that so why did Hashem give the Luchas to show us such publicity if HaKadosh Baruch knew the rule too so why 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 So why did he choose to do it like that? It's a great question. Listen to the answer. He said, Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew that it's true. If I'm going to, do, I'm going to bring Matan Torah about with such a huge ceremony, with such a major, amazing, so to speak, publicity, the whole world is going to know about it. It could be that as a result, the first also gets broken later. But it doesn't make a difference. It still could die. Why? Because the Mayim Sinai And the fire and the lightning and the hearing Hashem speak and the whole effect is going to teach Klai Yishol Kavar They're going to forever remember the force of Mahomet Harsina. They're going to get the impact of Mahomet Harsina is going to stay forever. And therefore, even if it's going to come at the expense of losing the first Luchas, Hashem is not going to be a vatar on the Mahomet of, of Mahomet Harsina because that's what's going to give Klai Yishol the sense of Kavar always. So Meshavit tells the Rebbe, he says to him, He says, and that's okay, so I'm doing the same thing. He says, it could be it's going to cost me the yeshiva. But if it's going to cause Kavad HaTar, that the entire Jewish world is going to come to Ishanukah Sabayis, it's worth it. I'm trying to, bring, like, to, be, to raise the level of Kavad HaTar. And the story goes that the rabbi told him, he said, You're right, I'm coming with you. And history is like what happened. The great Yeshiva Chachem Ludun lasted for nine years. The dedication was in 1930, and the Nazis was the one that prime targets to destroy in 1939. The Yeshiva lasted for nine years, but the concept of Yeshiva, which Meir Shapir brought to the world, every Yeshiva in the world today is like that. Kimat. That it's, it's, it's the idea that the, it's the Yeshiva's responsibility to, to, to look after Bachem, to the dormitory, to give food, to do in a way which is the Mechabit Salman wants to be a Bentar, that remains. But the godless is something else. It wasn't a small project. Like I said, it took a major period of four years of fundraising, four years of effort to set up Yeshiv. And after all that effort, and after all that, uh, so to speak, inv- investment, to be able to say, I'm willing to give it all up just to cause Kavad HaTarim. If it's going to cause, bring Kavad HaTarim, then I'm willing to lose my investments. I'm willing that the Yeshiv won't succeed, like Luchas Rishonis, if it will cause the mind of Kavad HaTarim. That's the godless, that's the Midbar. Chazal said, why was the Torah given in the Midbar? So it looks like the Midchar is desert. It's broken. There's nothing there. A person has to, in order to make up the Torah, has to be willing to be like the Midbar. I'm willing to give up everything for Kweda Torah. And that's what the Midrash we started with. In three ways, uh, the Torah was given. 
we said that what Klai Yisrael saw the fire, they looked up, they saw the Mayim, and they looked down, they saw the Midbar. That a person who wants his Torah to be successful, he wants uh, to be a Torah which Klai Yisrael is going to take from, it has the same, the same three elements. The one is the Esh, the amount that a person is willing to go all out, he's willing to invest himself completely into that Torah. The second one is the Mayim. How much is not just his project, but how much is going to involve Klai Yisrael? And how much is going to be something which unites Klai Yisrael? And lastly, by Midbar. How much, even after everything a person has invested, he's willing to give it all up, the Chayla Torah. It will be like the Midbar, which has nothing. If it's the Chayla Torah, that way the Torah will be successful. That's what we learned from the, the Parsha. That's also the preparation for Shavuos. Because what we talk about in Shavuos was the Maimed Harsinah. The Maimed Harsinah, which remains with Klai Yisrael, even though we lost the Luchas. And like we learned from the story of Ramesh Shapiro, that the, it was worth it for Hashem. The fact that it should be Chayla Torah, that, that, that's something which remains with us until today. And if a person builds their own Torah with the same, with the same focus, Ba'esh, Ba'mayim, or Ba'midbar, so then just like that was the way Hashem gave us the Torah originally, that's the way with the Torah that a person learns today can still be something which is going to inspire Klai Yisrael, which is going to change Klai Yisrael, uh, and becomes a Kabbalah's Torah for everybody.